Okay, those power hits. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day just to be alive and have the opportunity to bring you glory again. Every day is a new chance for that, Father, and help us not take life itself for granted. It's a privilege to be alive. It's a privilege to be here right now, gathered together as your children, as the body of Christ. Help us always be grateful, Father. Every day we wake up, and again, we ask your help that we bring you glory. Father, we also pray for those in our congregation that couldn't be here today, that are struggling with illnesses and the like. We ask that you heal them. Your will be done, of course. We ask that you strengthen them and also give them more and more faith. And hopefully we see them again soon, face to face. And Father, we ask your blessing upon this message. Have your spirit guide us, Father. You know we are nothing. We, we can't do it ourselves. We can't figure it out ourselves, but we need your help. Open our hearts and minds, Father, to hear what your spirit has to say to us today. And Father, we ask all these things based on the merits of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. By the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. Okay, as you can see, our topic today is making disciples. Um, something the Spirit put on my heart about a month ago, as I knew I'd be filling in for Pastor on his vacation. So, you might be quite familiar with the Great Commission of our Lord, at least you might think you are. Um, if you've been here any amount of time, you're at least somewhat familiar with it. We're going to get a little bit more familiar with it today as we start out and get into this topic about what is this call or this command upon us to make disciples. What is it all about? So turn in your Bibles to Matthew 28, 18. Matthew 28, 18. And this command to make disciples is really the first part of this great command, this great commission. So we're going to take a look first how it all fits in with the Great Commission here as a whole. Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen, And this is the perfect time to talk about this, everyone. I mean, it's uh, the holiday season, as we say, right? We just had Thanksgiving. Uh, Christmas is upon us. Um, we deal with more and more friends and family. We get a little more, little more private time with people than throughout the rest of the year. So it's a really good time to talk about making disciples and how we might do that thing. So verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now let's just stop there for a second. Because it's real easy to breeze over what Jesus said in verse 18. And I, this kind of hit me as I was going over my notes this morning. Notice he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is the resurrected Christ, right? He's defeated death in human form in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. In other words, on his authority, 
as now the King of kings and Lord of lords forever and ever, on his authority, he says, go. You have my authority. You have my blessing, so to speak. But you have my authority behind you. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's funny, he begins and ends with the fact that he's our rock, that he's, our, um, he's with us as we go and make disciples. So our great purpose on earth, regardless of our spiritual gifts, includes making disciples. And not only of all the nations, but even in our own backyards. How do we know this? Some are called to go out to the corners of the earth with the gospel. Some are called to start at Jerusalem, as the Lord mentioned in Luke 24. So go to Luke 24, which is a parallel passage about the Great Commission. Luke 24, verse 46. I also just think it out loud here. I just love the fact that these great commissions, um, these two parallel passages are given after the Lord was resurrected. After it was finished, after he defeated death, literally. And then he says, okay, now I'm assigning you this here thing from a position of authority and power, the ultimate. Luke 24, 46. And Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Beginning from Jerusalem. Where were the apostles living when Jesus said this to them? In Jerusalem. So Jesus didn't say, Skip Jerusalem. Jesus didn't say, go to the other side of the earth right now, all of you. He said, let's sp spread the good news about me, starting in Jerusalem. Starting in your backyard is the point. For us, it's obviously different. Um, but this is our Jerusalem, so to speak. This is our home base. This is where we are now. We start here, and we, we go out and spread the gospel, and different people have different assignments along the way different people to reach. Some of us are actually assigned to make disciples in our own backyards. Uh, some are assigned to go out to the next city or the next state. I mean, you've got to listen to the Holy Spirit on that. Some are assigned to go into the next country or even the other side of the world. But we are all called to partake in this divine command, this call to go out and make disciples. We all have certain gifts, and we all can take a part in it. And guess what? God will use your gifts, whatever they are, for this benefit, for this purpose. Take whatever gift you want. Uh, he'll just help you make disciples in a different way, from a different angle, with a different emphasis. But we're all called to make disciples, and we all can do it right in our backyards. In fact, maybe we should be doing it in our backyards, especially with what's going on and 
There are plenty of people in our own country that need us, in our own neighborhoods that need us, that need the light of the truth, especially in the times that we're living. So we're all given this command and this privilege to go make disciples for our Lord. Who are we that he asks us to do this and gives us this opportunity? We're called to teach them his ways over time, showing them how to follow Jesus. So what does it mean to make disciples and how are we to do this thing? First and foremost, this requires a willingness to lead someone by the hand. Something that we might not be that fond of for different reasons. This requires a personal investment in someone else. And if you don't like the idea of that, that that's probably your flesh getting in the way. What's the illustration of this uh, approach? Isn't it the Lord himself and how he made disciples out of his followers. How did he make disciples out of his followers? After he preached repentance, he said, follow me. He said, follow me. Maybe we should imitate his approach to making disciples. He didn't say, come to my rabbinical school Monday through Friday, 9 to 3. Right? He didn't say, go on Zoom from 9 to 3. And then I can be done with you, so to speak. Not that he would ever say that, but that's what we want to say, right? Come to class and then I can go live my life after. You know, come follow me, quote unquote, for an hour on Zoom, but then I can live my life after. We naturally don't want to invest in other people because we're naturally selfish. But if we're in the spirit, we will follow his example. Jesus said, follow me. This means he allowed them and even encouraged them to personally be involved and observant of his personal life. Is that not true? I mean, the disciples ate with him. They were together day and night. They got to observe him, the light of his life, so to speak. They got to observe what it meant to be following God. They weren't just taught. So go to uh, Mark 1.14. Mark 1.14. Again, we're talking about imitating Jesus' examples, example of making disciples. How did he do it? Mark 1.14. This will kind of give us a little um, introduction, I guess. This is where he called the apostles. Mark 1.14 Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, 
he, sa he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And notice in verse 17, he said, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. So here's our first point on the board about making disciples. Following Jesus has a purpose, specifically to bring the light of his gospel to others as well, to make more disciples. Following Jesus has a purpose, specifically to bring the light of his gospel to others as well. Again, in verse 17, he said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Look at Mark 2, verse 13. Mark 2, verse 13. Go forward a whole page. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. So this means Jesus allowed the disciples on the job training. As our dear pastor taught us years ago in the series, Why Are the Apostles So Encouraging? Go back and listen to that if you want to be encouraged. But Jesus allowed the disciples the opportunity for on-the-job training. And it means much more than sharing the word proper, but allowing them to see the light of his life in action, how to live for God, to see all the parts of his experiences and godly responses to those experiences. I mean, just imagine yourself if you had the chance to walk with Jesus for a year, right? Wouldn't it have been priceless to see how he re interacted and responded to people in different situations? It's one thing to know what the Word says. It's another thing to see it in action, especially from the perfect one, right? So he allowed them to watch his experiences, see his godly responses, even when he was being personally attacked. See the recent blog on steal yourself. Steal yourself, prepare yourself. Jesus was never surprised by attacks and where they came from because he knew very well what was in man. See the end of John chapter 2 for that. He knew what, very well what was, in, what was in man. He was never surprised by an attack or where it came from. So we should never be surprised either but instead prepare ourselves. Not only did Jesus teach his disciples the word throughout their time together, but he also taught them by one of the greatest ways any of us learns, and that is by example. Isn't that true? Isn't that like the best way to learn, the most effective way to learn? How many times have you said to someone in your life, all right, I understand what you're telling me, but can you show me how to do this? I need to see it. I'm not fully getting it. 
it's the best way to learn. The wisest person who ever lived knew that was the best way that we learn, and he took the disciples under his wing, literally, um, and taught them that way, not just formally teaching them the word. So may I submit to you that we all should be doing the same thing, that we should follow his example to make disciples the same way he did. However, and this is a big however, this requires his love for us to be able to do this, for us to have the power to do this and not do it in our own effort, which won't work. This requires his love. His love for you must be your motivation. That'll give you the power and strength to serve another person in an intimate way like this. His love for you must be your motivation in doing this thing. And if it's not, then maybe it's not the time to make a disciple. Maybe you need to be in prayer to ask him to help you see his love for you more, to help you understand what he did for you personally at the cross. Because without his love as your power source behind you, you're, you're destined for failure. But with his love as your motivation, you can do all things, and it will even be simple, easy. It will require labor, but it will be easy. It's as simple as saying, by faith, he died for me on that cross. He died for me personally. I'm so grateful that he forgave me for all the things I, I've done and thought and said. And I want to pass this on to others who need to realize his grace. See how his love can be your motivation? I want to pass what he did, on, did for me on to others and help them understand why I'm the way I am. Why I live the way I live. Why I think, why I try to follow his word. So on the board, this is a very important introductory point to this mini-series here. Making disciples requires his love. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Right? There's no other reason we love. There's no other reason we have his love. Except for the realization that he loved us first. And gave himself up for us. And 2 Corinthians 5.14, part A, for the love of Christ compels us, motivates us. We need to allow the love of Christ to motivate us. We need to get out of the way and do that because that's where the power comes from. So making disciples requires his love. His love for us, his forgiveness of us, should give us a desire to take someone else under our wing and mentor them, so to speak, in how to follow Jesus, to pass on his love to them. But we are commanded by our Lord to make disciples, so we must follow his lead. And we do this by grace through faith. By grace through faith. Think about a father taking his son with him on the job or even doing chores or visiting the sick or something. 
Think about a father taking his son with him on the job. There's no greater lesson to be learned than to watch his father do it. It is truly priceless. So we can take someone in our lives under our wing like this. If they're humble, if they're willing to learn how to follow Jesus, anyone in this room can do this with another person. You mustn't be a Bible teacher to make a disciple. You just need to be a willing teacher of life, we might say. Allow them to learn from your life. However, you must enter into the love of Christ, the love he had for you first as your motivating factor. And it's a sacrificial love, everybody, where we put ourselves aside like he did for us. We put ourselves aside for the benefit of another person, even though it involves um, loss, personal loss of time, of you know, pleasure of money, maybe. Maybe you're not, you know, you're taking some time out of work even in some way for the benefit of another person that needs you, that is open. So on the board, uh, making disciples requires his love. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. So said our Lord. And this doesn't necessarily mean physically dying for someone. It means laying down your own life, putting your own life aside, your preferences, your comforts, putting those things on the shelf for the benefit of another person. That's what love does. That's what God's love does. God's love is sacrificial for the benefit of others and is part of our calling in Christ to imitate him even. So, that being said, let's go back to actually making disciples. There are a lot of people out there, and I think more and more actually with what's going on in our world right now, that are curious about Jesus. They're at least curious about him. The early church fathers called them seekers. If you remember from the Gospel Reload a few years ago, they called them seekers. They might even come in the church and listen. And they might not be true believers yet, but they're willing to dip their foot in the pool. They want to see if there's anything to Jesus or if it's just a bunch of, you know, you know. They want to see if there's anything to it. So they're open. The door is open in their soul. But at the same time, they might not be willing to come to a church. And this is why we're called to make disciples, everybody. We all come in contact with different people, and we have different strengths, and we have different people that are in our lives that might uh, look up to us in some way. Think of a younger person in your life that kind of you can tell when someone looks at you all the time. They're watching what you do. You know, they want your approval maybe. You think of maybe a younger person who wants your approval as an adult. That's an open soul that they might be willing to enter into on the board on the job training. We have the opportunity to take others by the hand and show them what the Lord has shown us. 
It's really that simple, and we should keep it simple. We have the opportunity to take others by the hand and show them what the Lord has shown us. What does that mean to you? It might be different than what it means to me as far as what the Lord has shown us. But make it personal. You know, share your personal journey with the Lord. How he's shown you forgiveness. You know, what it means to you that he died for you on the cross. Why you uh, don't live the way you used to live. Take them by the hand and let them see. Isn't that simple? Do you need to be a Bible teacher to do that? Or do you just need to be humble to do that? So any one of us could mentor a sister or a brother or a cousin or a nephew or a neighbor or a colleague at work who you can tell are open to some guidance in life. I have in my notes here, you could be mute. You could be unable to speak. And you could still put your arm around them and lead them and show them what it's like to follow Jesus. So it's not a good excuse to say, um, I'm not a good teacher. I'm not good with words. That's almost not the point. The point is, follow Jesus' example. Follow me. Let me show you what it means to follow him. Let them see the Lord's light shine in you. Because it does, at least to some degree, if you're a believer. So we're back to this command in Matthew 28. Go out and make disciples. This also means don't sit on your couch for a living. He said go out. Even if it's just outside your home. He said, go out. What does that mean? Well, if, if you think about it, you could go out to all different lengths, right? We already talked about that. Our backyard, our city, our state, our, another country. But on the board, we are to go out, and that means to reach out, not waiting for others to come to us. Does that make sense? I mean, go out, <laughs> obviously, doesn't mean wait for us to come in. It means go out. It means to take an action to reach out to others in some way. And again, we can and should make disciples even in our own backyards. In our day and age, you can go out on the Internet, especially during the pandemic. Can you not reach out to others on the Internet? Amazingly so, we can do that. For example, there are some apps that have live chat rooms in them, such as PalTalk, where you can go on and, and go, on, go on the app and go into these different rooms, and there's 5 or 10 or 15 people in the room talking about a certain subject, and you can join them and politely bring up the gospel to maybe one person or to the whole group. And guess what? Not too much to be nervous about. You're not going to see these people. You don't see these people. You don't know these people. In fact, a lot of them are in different countries. But is that not a way we can go out and reach out to people? Just don't put um, uh, God in a box. Don't put yourself in a box. Don't be like there's only one way to do it. It's more of a willingness than it is an uh, ability. So there are many different ways we can go out or reach out 
uh, we have to just remember the point on the board again. We are to go out, and that means to reach out, not waiting for others to come to us. A little more difficult during a pandemic, huh? But it doesn't have to be physical. With technology today, it doesn't have to be in the presence of someone necessarily. So how might we proceed with this? And what are the important things we might share with them as we disciple them? How about reading a passage with them about Jesus' call for us to repent? Or about Jesus' call for us to count the cost? That's simple enough. Anyone can do that. How about one day showing them a few scriptures about the deity of Christ so they understand who Jesus really is? And look forward to them seeing that. You know, you might, you might be on, on the phone with them and say, hey, I want to show you something. And you, and you say, look at these two verses about the deity of Christ. And they literally say to you, I never knew that. I never saw that. And you just communicated to them who Jesus really is. One of the very important things as we disciple people. Think of Isaiah 9, 6, anybody? One of our favorite Christmas passages, a child will be born to us and he's called Mighty God and Eternal Father. What? What's up with that? You're not sure if Jesus is God? Let me show you Isaiah 9, 6. And by the way, that was written 700 years before Jesus was actually born, if you want some evidence. So how about taking people with you to the store? Let them see how you treat people even when they don't treat you well. How about talking to them on the phone late at night about what's really important in life because you care about them and you want them to be saved? That's discipling. That's making a disciple. And again, we all have people in our lives that um, are in our periphery that either we could tell they look up to us or we can tell they're open or we could tell they're looking for answers in life, they're a little confused. And all it takes is pulling one of them aside on the phone or whatever and saying, hey, do you want to you hear the good news? It's not complicated. The simpler you keep it, the better. But you have to be willing and humble to obey his command, make disciples. So these are all examples of what might be done to make a disciple. And it doesn't require ability, but it does require sacrificial love. Again, greater love has no man than this, than he lays down his life for his friends. And at the right point, if they come to humble, repentant faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, you would encourage them to get baptized. And give us a call here at the church if you need help with that. You might encourage them to attend church, maybe for the first time, offering to give them a ride even. I think if our parent would take a child by the hand and lead them to the waters, so to speak. You could do that for someone else. So each one of us are still alive on this earth to bring God glory. That is the primary reason any of us are still alive if we're already born again and saved. It's to bring God glory. And this is one major way we do so. Major. 
In my own reading right now, I happen to be in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. And if you want, go home and read of 1 Corinthians chapters 8 and chapters 9. 8 and 9. Paul's talking about this very thing. He's like, I don't want anybody to stumble. He's like, I want to win souls. I'll do whatever it takes to win them. I'll become like them to win them. Not compromising my values, but I'll become like them. I'll relate to them so that I can win them. So that I can run the race and not be disqualified. All about winning souls. Be encouraged by that. And be encouraged by the fact that you don't have to be a teacher. You just have to be willing to let someone follow your example. So we're to show others the light of Christ in us by actually caring about them and mentoring them to follow Jesus. And let me say this too. I've even personally found lately, it's not always easy to find someone who's willing to listen, right? (laughs) I mean, many of us have struggled with that for years or been discouraged by that for years. Some people just don't want to listen and some just aren't ready to listen. But it only takes one person at a time. You know, it only takes one person at a time to disciple, to mentor, and to bring them along in whatever way you think is best. But to let them into your space, to let them into your life, to tell them why you believe what you believe. It only takes one person that is actually looking and wants some answers. So you might invest your heart and your time in one person for the next several years. That might be your calling before the Lord takes you home. And it would have all been worth it. Wonderful. Jesus would have come to sacrifice himself for even one person, for even just you. So we should be willing to put aside our lives for one person. Again, greater love has no man than that. Even the Apostle Paul encouraged people to imitate his faith. But guess what? You can't imitate his faith unless you see him, right? When he was talking to the people, when he was writing letters to the churches, he was saying, imitate my faith. Watch me. Watch me. We're told to imitate the faith of our pastor. Watch. Observe. You know? It's an example. It's a visual aid, which we all terribly need at times. So on the board, following Paul's example, Philippians 3.17, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, he wrote, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Isn't that cool? I follow Christ, but you don't know how to do that yet, so you watch me. I'll show you how I follow Christ. And go to Hebrews 12, verse 11, for some recent encouragement that we've had from the Spirit. Hebrews 12, verse 11. Even a child can say to another child, follow me, right? (laughs) Watch my example. I built a fort in the woods. Come and see. I want to show you how I built this thing or how it works. 
And that's maybe that's a, a visual of childlike faith for us. Hebrews 12:11 through 14. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We were on that verse a few times the last few weeks, right? Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. In other words, people won't see the Lord in you if you don't live the way you're called to live. People learn best by the example of others. And as the Spirit taught us recently, if they don't see holiness in your lifestyle, which remember, holiness means to be set apart for Him. So if you're not actually setting yourself apart for Him, set apart from the world, living for Him, they're not going to see it. They're not going to see it. But you have the Word in you. You know the Word. You, you're here. You're learning. You want to be obedient or you wouldn't be here. So this means you can do this. This means the life you're living now should be an example that they can watch and see. So don't put yourself down and think this is beyond you. It's just living in what the Lord calls us to do. So continuing on with Jesus' command to go out and make disciples, we must also teach people why we believe what we believe. People want to know what makes us tick, especially that humble person that always is watching you that you could tell maybe needs some guidance. They want to know what makes you tick and why you have the faith that you have. In other words, they don't want to just walk around the car and look at it. They want to pop the hood. They want to see what's underneath and how it works. They want to see how you work. And this includes, this is why it's an investment in another person, everybody, because this includes your strengths and your weaknesses. This includes not them seeing the, just the good stuff about how you follow Jesus. It includes them seeing you flop on your face and saying, yeah, I'm a sinner. That's why I need him. That's why I need him. I'm, I'm, I'm repentant. I don't like what I just did or said or whatever. But you needed to see that. I'm not your Savior. He's your Savior. I'm just showing you best I can what he wants us to do. So this is why it's an investment in a person, to let them see your underbelly, so to speak, your weaknesses even. But that very thing is what reaches people, isn't it? When you show them you're real and that you have real faith in real life, isn't that what reaches people? I had some, uh, someone I work with uh, say thank you for sharing one of my weaknesses, basically. Um, and because I was just open and honest about it, even though he knows I'm a Christian, because I was open and honest about it, he was like, you know what? That's for, like refreshing, in other words. And I can learn from that. I can see that it's okay to fail as long as you're coming back to the Lord with your heart. I can see that I can follow Christ and I don't have to be perfect. How many people need to see that with their eyes? 
They want someone transparent who's willing to be seen even in failure, but goes to Jesus and said, this is what he did for me. He died for that ugly thing you just saw. That's how awesome this is, and that's why it's all about him. So again, we're back to where we kind of started, that love must be the motivating factor. When you love him because of the fact that he forgave you so much, you're able to pass that on. You're able to let people see that, very simply. So we know 1 John 4.19, that's pretty common. We quoted that earlier. We love because he first loved us. Now, go in your Bibles to Psalm 116, verse 1, and let's see a little bit of a different version of that. Psalm 116, verse 1. And this is, this is how we can call upon the love that he had for us and that we can pass that on in an appropriate way. Psalm 116, verses 1 and 2. I love the Lord. Why? Because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Kind of like 1 John 4. I love because he first loved me. Again, look at verse 1. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. I am so grateful. I will call on him as long as I live. I am so glad he listened to my pleas for mercy, even though I'm a wicked sinner. He listened to me. That's why I love him, and that's why I will serve him. And so this is what people want to see in your life. Some already do see it. They're just not saying anything to you. But you might invite them along for the ride. On the board... We are making disciples of our Lord. We strive to show people that they actually don't need us. We're just messengers. They need God. They need the Lord himself. They need a personal relationship with the Lord who died for them personally. Right? Isn't that, is this not what people need to realize for themselves, between them and God? For example, John 14, 6, 1 John 4, 19, and we just read Psalm 116, 1 through 2. Again, we're making disciples of our Lord, not for ourselves, right? We strive to show people that they don't need us. We're just messengers. They really need God. They need the Lord himself. They need a personal relationship with the Lord who died for them. So we aren't to make ourselves the heroes or the saviors in their lives. We are to point to the one and only savior, the one and only hope of mankind. So our next point on the board about making disciples. Discipling also involves teaching. Teaching others the ways of Christ. And when Jesus said, follow me to the disciples, he meant it literally. But today, he's not with us in physical form, we follow him by his word, right? This is how we follow him. Obeying, right? 
listening, imitating. So we share God's word and the promises and the commands with other people, especially about the gospel. That's what we should be teaching others, whether it be formally or informally. It could be just a conversation over coffee or on the phone in the morning or at night about following him, what his beautiful commands are, what his beautiful promises are. And that pleases him when we follow him that way. This is what we teach others, right? That pleases the Lord. So next on the board, making disciples. What did Jesus say? In Matthew 28, 20, part A, at the end of the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So there's what he told us to do. Okay. And in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. How about teaching someone that simple principle? He said if we really love him, I mean, we can use his name. He says if we really love him, we'll follow his commands. So at this point in our message, we're going to end uh, today with a special interjection from the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by that is, um, what we're about to talk about is not something that I plan to talk about in this subject of making disciples. But he literally interjected it into my own uh, plan for this little series. So especially during the volatile times we live in, we're going to bring this topic up. Are you ready? Brace yourself. All right, next point on the board, making disciples. As believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, we are called to transcend things like political preferences, not allowing them to become a stumbling block to others for the sake of the gospel. We're talking about making disciples for our Lord, right? Not for ourselves, not for what we think is right in the world and get on our soapbox and create our own little followers. The flesh loves that. Who are we here for, ourselves or him? As believers in the Lord, we are called to transcend things like political preferences, not allowing them to become a stumbling block to others for the sake of the gospel. And this makes me a little bit emotional talking about this because uh, I think of how horrible it would be for someone to stop listening to you or even watching your lifestyle and how you follow Jesus because of a political, earthly preference. And they shut Jesus off from their ears because of you, because you're so arrogant maybe, or you, you refuse to uh, be cordial. I don't know. You know how people get with politics. But we must transcend it all. We have to rise above it all, everybody, you know, and look down on it all. In the big picture, it's really a speck on the timeline of life, of history. So during this time of turmoil in our country, are we believers called to focus our energy and emotions on politics? Or are we called to transcend it all and keep focused on Christ, our true King? I think you know the answer to that. And can we reach others? And think about this again. This is where it's, 
it's a it's such a vital thing because some people out there right now are very frustrated and even despairing despairing about the leaders in our country whichever side you're on it doesn't matter everyone's got their own perspective so if people are out there despairing about where our country's headed right shouldn't you rescue them from that should you try to pull them off of that ball field onto this ball field? You see what I'm saying? You have the chance to show them that that is not something worth despairing over. Even though the world teaches you that, and it's natural to think that in this world, we think it's our whole lives depend on it. Big fat lie from Satan. What does your whole life depend on? What you think about Jesus Christ. You could die tomorrow. When you die tomorrow, do you care who the president is? So this is an opportunity for us to make disciples by not allowing stumbling blocks with earthly things. So this is our next point on the board. Transcending worldly things for the gospel's sake. It's a trap from Satan to get preoccupied with things like politics, operating like a citizen of this world instead of a citizen of heaven, like we believers are in Ephesians 2.19 and Philippians 3.20, for example. Rise above it all and share with others about the true king instead. This takes a lot of humility to, to get out of your own way like this because your flesh loves to, maybe your flesh loves to argue. Maybe your flesh loves to make its points. Maybe your flesh, you know, but re recognize the, these these things are from the flesh, okay? When you get preoccupied with anything in the world, you've now been duped by Satan to put too much emphasis on something of this world. Not that we should be bad citizens, not that we should not defend our freedoms to a certain degree, not that we shouldn't vote, but does that become a stumbling block to the gospel with someone in your periphery who's watching you? Watching you follow Jesus and at the same time watching you spit venom, maybe, about politics. As one of pastor's blogs taught us, you don't want to be caught playing the wrong game or playing the game on the wrong ball field and thinking it's for the championship when it's really an exhibition game. In other words, are you fighting the right fight? Are you fighting to make more disciples for our worldly leaders? Or are you fighting to make more disciples for our Lord? That's a really good question. With how some of us get wrapped up in politics and try to convince people, right, to our way or whatever. Are you fighting? What are you putting your energy into? Are you fighting to make more disciples for worldly leaders? Are you fighting to make more disciples for the Lord? Who's the true king forever and ever and ever? Is a silly comparison, right? I think of a boxing ring. Are you even fighting the, re the right fight? Or do the wiles of Satan have you expending your energy on the wrong opponent? Go in your Bibles to Ephesians 2.19. Ephesians 
Let's be reminded of this wonderful truth for us believers to live in. Not just that it's a fact, but that we should live in this. And people will see if we live in this or we don't. And some might even be distracted from the gospel but if we don't. Not that it depends on us, but you know what I mean. It's our opportunity and privilege, like we started with this early, earlier in the message, to share the gospel, to be called to make disciples. Who are we that God lets us partake of this mission? But he does. And, and to have eternal repercussions... Look at Ephesians 2.19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Do you live like you're a fellow citizen with the saints and members of the household of God? Turn to Philippians 3, verse 20. Philippians 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you live like your citizenship is in heaven? Ask yourselves a question, okay? I did this to myself and I was actually surprised at what I found. Not in a good way. When you look at yourself... Would you say you think more like a citizen of this nation or this world, or would you say you think more like a citizen of heaven? Not a good response. Not a good answer for me anyway, at the time I asked it of myself. What am I living like? Am, am I living like I belong to this world, or am I living like I belong to heaven? And that's the illustration that comes forth. That's the light that shines. So again, the, the point on the board is transcending worldly things for the gospel's sake. It's a trap from Satan to get preoccupied with things like politics, operating like a citizen of this world instead of a citizen of heaven like we believers are. Rise above it all and share with others about the true king instead. So instead, God calls us to keep our eyes on the things above. And listen, we all know that's difficult because we see things on the earth, right? We don't see the things above. That's why it takes faith. But we're called to keep our eyes on the things above. And that's what saves us every day. And that's what will save others in our periphery because they see us. Go to Colossians 3 verse 1. Colossians 3.1, as we begin to close here. This is one of my favorite passages. I know we shouldn't have favorites, but it's one of my favorites. Um, but it, this passage just always helps me get reset, right? It fixes my perspective like one of, in one of the best ways when I really need it. Colossians 3.1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, 
and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Wow. Right? What are we doing? That makes me ask myself, what am I doing when I get wrapped up with anything in this world? When I get preoccupied or even disturbed by anything in this world, what am I doing if this is my reality? So our next point on the board, transcending worldly things for the gospel's sake. One of the greatest favors you could do for someone else is to not take sides politically with them, but instead give them the hope above all hopes, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Amen? You see the point? Like, Do you see how we have to be careful what we do because people are watching us? And their salvation or the gospel getting through to them could depend on, you know, maybe how childish we act related to politics. I don't know. But 1 Timothy 6.15, Revelation 17.14, and 19.16, those all talk about Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords. You're getting all riled up about the president of the United States. God bless our country. God bless that office. We're so blessed to be in a free country. But are you going to get riled up about the president who is temporary on a small country on earth? Or are you going to get riled up about the king of kings and lord of lords, the creator of the universe, who's going to be king forever? Who should we be getting our energy worked up about? So just be careful. That's The Spirit's saying be careful. Don't allow your personal preferences to become a stumbling block to the gospel. That would be one of the saddest things. We'll end on that. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace and truth. We thank you for your word that sets us free. And we thank you for the privilege of being part of the great commission of spreading the good news of your Son, the one who saved us, We ask, Father, that you help us express to others or show others that they need Christ to save them too. Help us live in your love, Father. We know the only reason we love is because you first loved us. And help us cling to that with all of our hearts and just pass it on, Father. We ask that you give us humility to obey your great commission, to obey your call to make disciples. And we ask, Father, that you help us Pray about this individually with you and that you show us what you want us to do before we meet you face to face. We ask all these things based on the merits of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.